This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. We've had the latest numbers from the OECD, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development today, and it has slashed its outlook for global growth this year to 3% from the 4.5% it predicted in December. And the UK has come off worse, hasn't it, as far as these figures are concerned? Yeah, it has. The UK is going to go from the second fastest growing country in the G7 to being the slowest growing country in the G7, if you can even call that, because the actual forecasts are for 0% growth, so stagnation next year. And actually, when you take the G20 into account, the only country that's going to have less growth than the UK is Russia itself. So that just shows how much the country is expected to struggle economically next year and the, the scale of the task at hand now facing the government, because a lot of the arguments that have been put across about why the UK is going to struggle is government decisions. It's things like raising taxes um, at a time when the economy needs support, not downside pressure. And therefore, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Boris Johnson, obviously everything that's happened this week. And a lot of MPs, he had to effectively promise that they would become tax cutters again. And I think they're going to have to do that sooner than, than they previously anticipated because of the pressure that's going to be faced on the economy. The Bank of England obviously previously warning that the UK economy is likely to fall into a session later on this year. And now the OECD warning that we'll see no growth next year. Stagflation is, is the term that keeps getting thrown around. And it seems like that's coming to the UK faster than anywhere else. You mentioned that uh, vote of confidence announcement on Monday evening. How did markets reflect on that? Obviously, you've mentioned uh, tax cuts as well, but nobody likes instability. As far as the PM is concerned, Boris Johnson, the fact is he did win albeit by less than people thought. But in terms of uh, the year ahead, has that ended any speculation and possible instability? No, but I think there's a few things to really look at here. One is that quite often politics just doesn't have as big an impact on the markets as you would expect because the continuity that comes with you replace Boris Johnson with another member of the Conservative Party, they still have an overwhelming majority in Parliament and not much is going to drastically change, although you could maybe argue that with Boris he's not your normal Conservative Party member and you're not your normal Conservative leader. But the markets don't really react. In fact, when the news broke that there was a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister, the pound actually rallied a little bit. I mean, we're talking a bit, we're on 0.4%, so let's not read too much into it. But I think it was assumed very early on that he wasn't going to lose that vote uh, and therefore maybe the markets kind of saw this vote as being able to put things behind, uh, whether that be the Partygate scandal, kind of drawing a line under it, the party votes in his favour and they draw a line under it and try to move on, whether that is the fact that once they survive a vote, that 12-month period when he can't face another confidence vote potentially creates that little bit of stability. But then you only have to look back to past prime ministers and how long they've survived after surviving a vote of no confidence, especially by such a fine margin. And Theresa May only lasted a few months. So I don't think it creates enormous stability at this point. But equally, I don't think it has that big an impact on the markets either. Boris Johnson has a lot of work to do at this point to lead the Conservatives into the next election. And that has to start with cutting taxes. Otherwise, some of those key members of the Conservative Party that have backed him this week will quickly lose faith in him and we could potentially see another no confidence vote already 
there's talk of could the party actually reduce the time period between no confidence votes if he doesn't effectively deliver on what he's promised speculation that it could be cut from a year to six months obviously that'd be quite a controversial move but it just goes to show that he's surviving on paper thin support at this point and he needs to do what it takes to maintain that support so that he can continue to lead the conservatives into that next election and you said that the UK is going to do worse than any other nation in the G7. Why particularly is that happening over here to the UK? Is that something to do with Brexit, perhaps? I think there's a number of factors. I think the cost of living crisis is pretty severe here and I think we are seeing that reflected in the spending figures already. You see for example the spending figures in the US are still strong there's a lot of uh, built up savings uh, from the last two years in the US from those stimulus checks etc. So I think the UK is feeling the pressure of the cost of living crisis more than many other countries. I think Brexit is having an impact Um, it almost feels like an old story at this point but obviously I'm not saying it's responsible but maybe it is just compounding the pressures facing the economy you can see there's Trade, for example, has suffered since Brexit and um, that's compounding the growth pressures on the economy. We've seen, obviously, a number of countries really now are seeing tight labour markets and that's partly due to people leaving the labour force and not returning fully since the pandemic. And I think that's been exacerbated again by the UK leaving the EU and people returning back to other countries within the European Union, which has compounded the issue in this uh, tighter labour force. Like I say, I don't think it's entirely responsible by any stretch of the imagination, but it has made that situation a little bit worse again. And uh, I think we are facing uh, some very challenging times in the, in the economy. Uh, and I think, the, like I say, the government has a lot of work to do, which makes decisions like they made last year to raise the national insurance tax in March all the more surprising and almost it feels like a bit of an own goal to be honest and one which you would have thought they would have actually backtracked on given the amount of U-turns you've seen from this government over the last few years but one they stuck with and I think they are going to have to start cutting taxes soon because otherwise as I said earlier Boris is going to quickly lose the support of those he keenly relies upon uh, within the Conservative Party and the UK is going to be heading for a recession and uh, stagnation next year. Perhaps what Chancellor Rishi Sunak will do will bring forward that 1p in the pound cut in uh, tax that was uh, talked about at his budget uh, which was some time away but maybe that'll be brought forward who knows you mentioned the fuel and uh, energy situation that's rising to new highs here in the uk we're seeing uh, another benchmark pass don't we yeah households are literally feeling it from all angles whether it's their energy bills at home Uh, The prices at the pump, I mean, this isn't a UK-specific thing, but it does seem to be that the UK is uh, feeling that intensified. The RAC today warning that there's actually been the biggest daily jump in 17 years on Tuesday in the price of uh, petrol, and that actually tomorrow, and this is symbolic in many ways, but it's a symbolic level that matters, they think it will exceed £100 to fill a typical family car. That's something that's going to agitate households, that's something that's going to come as a shock to many people and to many families, and it's going to hit people in the pocket at a time when they're already being hit elsewhere, as we've already talked about, which is why further support measures from the government is going to be so necessary, whether that be a cut in the fuel duty, as we saw earlier this year, they cut it by 5p, there's a lot more they could do on that front. For example, the income tax threshold, things like that, in order to try and alleviate some of those pressures, you've got to remember again, 
with inflation rising that people are being pushed up into those kind of next brackets and therefore paying more tax even though their wages are either rising along with inflation or slightly below inflation which means they're continuing to be worse off the government needs to do more to support people otherwise people are going to continue to feel worse off and when people feel worse off in a consumer driven economy like the uk you cannot expect to uh, exhibit any kind of signs of real growth and you are going to continue to underperform uh, other countries within the g7 or as we're seeing it by these oecd forecasts the g20 barring russia so the government has a lot to do and a lot to answer for and I think the no confidence vote in the Prime Minister could give the Prime Minister the urgency I think many people believe he needs. OK, Craig, let's talk about the rest of the week in terms of the data and uh, any possible news stories. The ECB announces tomorrow what may be a date for the end of bond buying. Is that going to be sooner rather than later? It's going to be very soon. It, the question is, is it going to be immediately or is it going to be a few weeks away just before they raise interest rates in July? Uh, they've previously said that bond buying will end. When I say bond buying, uh, they'll still have a huge balance sheet and they'll still be continuing to reinvest the proceeds from uh, maturing bonds, but it's net asset purchases that they'll be stopping. They've said previously that they will end net asset purchases before they raise interest rates, sometime before they raise interest rates, they've recently said and uh, if you remember rightly a few months ago Christine Lagarde was saying that could be anything from a few days to a few months uh, well it seems like we could be a few days or a few weeks at this point so the the question is going to be tomorrow are they going to end NASA asset purchases right away or are they going to give it one final month and then also what kind of rate hike can we be expecting in July Christine Lagarde in a blog just a few weeks ago suggested that 25 basis points in July and another 25 in September, taking them out to negative territory could be on the cards. But of course, a lot of it's happened since there's been a lot of inflation metrics since. And you do wonder whether the hawks within the ECB are starting to form more of a majority. And I think the other thing that's going to factor into the decision tomorrow and also the terminology that's used and the, the commentary which comes alongside it is going to be the movements that we have seen in European bond markets because we have seen, for example, things like uh, Italian yield rising uh, on the 10-year to close to 3.5%. So the spread between the Italian and the German has been widening. Things. Same with Spain and others. We are starting to see those divergences forming on, on a larger scale because of the prospect of the end of bond buying and higher interest rates and the ECB is going to want to address that because they don't want to see these margins widening over the course of this tightening cycle creating massive issues uh, within the block once more so there's going to be a lot of speculation and a lot of focus on what how the ECB plans to manage this tightening process and manage the process of moving away from bond buying to interest rate hikes and potentially many of them and finally at the end of the week, Craig, we're expecting some inflation numbers, aren't we, from the US? Yeah, that comes on Friday, and I think Ed in the podcast on Friday will take a deeper dive into the actual inflation data itself. But really, there's been three hotly anticipated events uh, over the course of this week and next. In many ways, this week has been pretty headline-driven at times, um, as we've talked about in the podcast. But in terms of major market moves, it's been pretty much just fluctuating uh, over the course of the week. The three big events this week and next has always been the ECB tomorrow, the US inflation data on Friday and the Federal Reserve next Wednesday. Last time we had inflation data a month ago from the US, it decelerated much slower than 
hoped and anticipated and that caused a bit of a stir in the markets this idea that it's been rising all this time faster and higher than anticipated and if the deceleration is slower then that effectively just means that the central bank is going to have to do more to try and drag it back to target so we've got inflation days on friday and the focus is going to be are we seeing that slower deceleration again or even an acceleration once more or are we going to get some numbers that can give us some hope that the inflation data is going to start to naturally fall back towards target obviously not go back to target anytime soon but it'll just give the fed less work to do which reduces the possibility ultimately of uh, a interest rate hiking recession uh, and we, we seem to be very much teetering on the edge at this point in the market so i think a disappointing inflation number above expectations even a new peak and we could see uh, a lot of negativity swayed across the uh, the financial markets ahead of that fed meeting next week okay craig thanks very much for joining us today thank you This is the Oanda Podcast.